Good morning. Good morning, Rabbi Welcome to Breakfast in the Class. Breakfast in the Class today is sponsored by Sarah and Shai Mahani, dedicated in honor of Natalie and Michael Dweck, and in celebration of the birth of their baby boy, Simantob Mabruk. This is a direct shout-out from here all the way to Brooklyn. I don't know if the, the Dwecks will hear it in Brooklyn, so if anyone here knows anyone who lives in Brooklyn, um, you, you, <laughs> let them know that today uh, they were shouted out and wished Mazal Tov by everyone in our community as well. Week of Cobra was sponsored by David Yash in honor of you and your substantial capacity to good today and every day. My friends, I want to read to you a pasuk. The pasuk says, The people, they took to seeking complaints. They started kvetching, grumbling, you know, mumbling, upset, you know, complaining. And HaKadosh Baruch didn't like it. It was, seemed evil in the, in the eyes of God. And Hashem got angry. And a fire broke out. Consumed at the edge of the camp. This is the story. Very interesting. So we see that the aftermath of the story is in the next few psukim, it starts talking about um, that they wanted... They asked for meat. We remember the fish. That we ate in Egypt. For free. Our rabbis learn from the aftermath of this story what they were complaining about. If the aftermath is a complaining that we remember the fish and we remember the meat in Egypt, then that means that what they were complaining about before was also food-related. Ya'ani, the Jews were hangry. Okay? Complaining about food. And in this complaint, they're complaining about the fact that the, the man was inappropriate for their food-consuming needs. And how do we know that? Because the end of that pasuk, where they talk about the fish, and they talk about the meat, and the watermelons, the melons and the leeks and the onion and the garlic, but now, right, and now, our souls have dried out. And called, there's nothing. The only thing we have is this, uh, the manna that we could see uh, with our eyes. We have nothing to look forward to except for the man. Now, the Torah tells us that when they prepared the man, they would take the man, they would grind it, they would cook it, and eventually the man had the ability, the Gemara tells us, to taste like any food in the world. So all the Chachamim ask a very similar question. If the man was able to taste like anything in the world, what are they complaining about? Which food you want? No problem. Done. You want short ribs? No problem. Done. You want Chinese food? Done. You have a family complaining about which restaurant to go to? Man was the perfect panacea to the Shalom Bayit issues faced with where should we go to eat. Everybody was eating in a different restaurant. I went to Mexico a while back and there was a guy, he has like a food court um, in Mexico, or Mexico City. And on the food court, he has all these different restaurants around the food court. So you could order 
from anything. So technically, you could be sat at one table, and there's a waiter coming over, and you're ordering from this menu for the husband, and from that menu for the wife, and from that menu for the kids, and all the food comes together. Beautiful. What are they complaining about? The man had any flavor. Now there's one opinion that says that they complained about the flavors that the man could not have. What was the reason why the man could not have those flavors? Because those foods are not considered good for a yoledet, for someone who's having children. So therefore the man, which was only good, would not be able to manifest into something that could cause a person's body harm. Okay? But other opinions don't go with that, and they say that the man could have tasted like any food. So what were they complaining about? So I want to share with you an amazing approach. You know, we just said that the man, it has a taste. And what did it taste like? You had to, you had to crush it, you had to cook it. They made it into cakes or cookies. And the taste of it tasted like a, uh, a dough kneaded with oil. Now the Chachamim say that the, the experience of the man was not a universal one. And I want to go show you and share how far this idea was. The Talmud tells us that if the, a person was a Sadiq, where would he get the man? Came to the house. Yani, you would Sadiq, free enrollment, Amazon Prime. Right to the house, right on time, boom. They leave it there. Okay? If the guy's not such a Sadiq, where, where does he have to go to find his man? He'd have to go you know, somewhere to town square to go, heck yeah, go find the man. What if he's a rasha? You need to leave the town, go out into the forest, outside the town, go into the desert, look for the man, find it miles away, and bring it home uh, for him and his family. But the Chachamim explained that not only was there a differential in the distance for someone that was righteous in terms of this miraculous food, it was also in the preparation. A sadiq could take the man, no problem, straight away eat it as is. Benoni, it was too hard for them. They'd have to grind it up. They got like perhaps the man that was uh, more, that wasn't as ripe, okay? They had to grind it up, but they could eat it then. The Rashaim, not only did they have to go out and get it all the way out in the middle of nowhere, and not only did they, would they have to grind it up, but they needed to cook it in their pots. They would need to now cook it in their pots in order to be able to make it something edible, to turn it into something that was edible, okay? So the Svarim tell us something amazing. Imagine you have a guy, you know, he's a pretty good guy, studies Torah, goes to shul, you know, etc. Uh, every day the man falls on his doorstep. One day, wakes up in the morning, his wife is like, go get the man, honey. Opens the door. <laughs> no man. He's thinking to, with his wife. He goes, what happened? We didn't get the man. This is before the days when uh, de Blasio and uh, Eric Adams built a city where people steal your packages on your, front, on your front lawn, okay? This is before the time. So they know no one stole it. How come there's no man? Right? Why is that the reality? Because they must have done something wrong. So the man gave them a reckoning of who they were. So what did they do? They now sat down, they thought, what did we do yesterday that took my man from my doorstep to the middle of the town or further still to the forest? 
Could you imagine the Bizayon, the rabbi of the town? He's, uh, where he's in the middle looking around on the ground. Everyone's like, what are you doing here, rabbi? Oh, I'm looking for my man. They're like, here? What's going on, rabbi? What are you, what are you not telling us? What are you doing behind closed doors? Right? Forget it. He doesn't find the man in the middle of town. How that needs to go out? The guy never owned a millstone, a grinder in his life. Why? Because the man he can eat straight away. Now he's got to go to the neighbor. <laughs> he's like, oh, I'm so sorry. Is there any way I could borrow your grinder, Rabbi? Okay. I see you. <laughs> Can you think about the Bizayon? How embarrassing that was. Okay? Now we look at the story, we look at it with very different eyes. And we start to realize why the people were complaining. The people were complaining because they say, we ate the fish, we ate the meat in Egypt, we ate it. Chinam. And everybody asks, Shuchinam. Wachinam. You were slaves for 210 years. They beat the living daylights out of you. They made you work from the morning till the night. Of course they fed you. They fed you so that you could do this all over again tomorrow. That's chinam. Right? That's chinam. That's free. Rashi says, quotes the words of Hazal. What does it mean, chinam? Rashi says, If you want to think that the Egyptians opened up a fish restaurant for the Jews and they ate free of charge, Paro said, don't even give them straw. If they wouldn't give them straw for free, they're not giving them fish for free. Rashi quotes us for free. What does it mean, chinam? The Sefri writes, Chinam min mitzvot. We were free of the mitzvot. Now I need to drive home how powerful this is. I'm in Egypt. I work, I do my thing, kill myself, fine. But then I get to eat. Nobody knows what kind of guy I am. Nobody knows what I'm doing behind closed doors. Nobody knows if I have integrity at work. All they know, they see me in shul. So a guy called me up a little while ago. He said, you know, who's this guy? Do you know this person? Thinking of doing business with him. I heard he prays in your shul. You know what I say to him? Do your own research, Rohi. Figure it out for yourself. I know him from shul. I have a shul relationship with this guy. I can't tell you nothing about who the guy is and if he's going to rip you off later on or if he's going to be honest. I don't know. Do you know? You see the guy, what does that mean in business? Nothing. Guy could be a crook. I have no idea. I'm not saying because I think he's a crook that I don't know. I'm telling you, I don't know because I don't know. Because when it comes to money and when it comes to a person's desires, all of a sudden, all the Yirat Shamayim, they seemingly have, Rahit, flies away. You don't, know, you don't know. So if I know the guy in business, I did business with him, he never ripped me off, I could tell you, 10 times I did a deal with him, the guy always paid up. Because the guy comes to shul because he learns in my class, how do I know? I don't know anything. Guy calls me up, I'm going out with someone from your shul. 
Tell me about the fans. What are they like? Tell me about the girl. Tell me about the guy. Mabarif. I don't know. Do your own research. I can tell you that they come this amount of time. I can tell you whether or not they come to the minyan. That I can tell you. More than that, Mabarif. I have no idea. Ki Elohim levav. A person could see what their eyes could see. Only God knows the heart, the heart of a man. So the Jews said, you know what? I'm willing to work back-breaking labor. So I get my fish. So I get my meat. But chinam, it's free min mitzvot. I don't have to do the mitzvot. I don't have to have someone know where I'm holding every morning where I have to walk out to the middle of nowhere to get my man. Where I have to grind. They come over for Shabbat lunch and what do they see? Man cake. And they're like, okay. Man cake. All right. So, so you can't eat it straight here. All right, I got you. No business for you. <laughs> Do you understand me? This is remarkable. Now, I want to share with you, once I saw this idea, I saw something that blew my mind. When we're first introduced to the man in Parashat Bishalach, we, we learn a little bit about what this man is. It tells us what it was. It fell on the ground. The people saw it. And the Jewish people saw the man for the first time. And one man said to his friend, Man who? What's it called? Man. Because they did not know what it was. Never seen it before. They had no experience with this food that fell from the heavens, miraculously. They don't know what it is. So since they did not know mahu, what it was, they called it man. Now, the obvious question is, if they said mahu, what should the name of the man have been? Ma. They said mahu, so therefore they called it ma. So that causes, this question causes Rashi to change the interpretation of the Pasuk. Man, what's man? Rashi says, Hachanat mazonhu. It's the preparation of a food. And he quotes a Pasuk, Vayamen lahem How the king had prepared for them food. Okay? So he translates the word man as prepared. So Rashi renders the Pasuk a little different. Manu, it's prepared food. Kiloya mahu. In other words, we didn't make this. We didn't plant this. This was prepared for us by God. So the literal interpretation of Pasuk sounds like what they're saying is they didn't know what it was, so they called it what? And then we have a question. Why does it say man? It should say ma. Rashi kind of sidesteps that. He says they called it man, prepared food, because they didn't know what it was. Not that that's the definition of what, because if that's the case, they should have said ma. But what is remarkable, my friends, is if you open Rashbam, Rashbam writes... And I say, man who, the uh, expression of ma in the Egyptian language, they just got out of Egypt two minutes ago. What language do they speak? Egyptian, correct? 
which causes a problem because we know that the Jewish people et lishonam. One of the things they didn't change was their language. Okay, fine, but at least they also spoke Egyptian, so they didn't know what it was. So therefore, they said they didn't know what it was. So they said, "What is it?" But how do you say what in Egyptian? You say, "What is man?" That's how Rashbam writes. Okay, fascinating. He brings proofs that you find this other way, other place in the Torah. Anyone remember another place in the Torah where we have this? They make a pact, and Lavan calls the place Yegar Sahaduta. It's in the Torah. It's not Hebrew. It's Armenian. Arami Ovedavi. So Arami in the language of Aramit, Yegar Sahaduta means Gal Ed, a pile of stones that stood as a uh, a witness to their deal. You also find it in the Megillah. He peel pur huha goral. Well, then why do we call purim goralim? The answer is, in Persian, the word for goral is pur. So it tells you, he peel pur, what is that? Huha goral. And that's why, therefore we call the holiday purim. So you find this in other places in the Torah. And other places in Tanakh, okay? Comes along Ibn Ezra, and Ibn Ezra asks a question. Ibn Ezra says, Rashbam has to be wrong. Why? I'm going to read you, this is wild. He says, Amar Omer Avenu Shilomo, Ki Bilshon Yishmael, Targum Mahu, Manhu. What is it? You would say, Manhu in the language of the Arabs. Now, it's a little bit interesting to me here because the Rashbam never said Lashon Yishmael. Rashbam said Egyptian. Egyptian. Okay? But I'm guessing that either the Ibn Ezra means Egyptian or the Rashbam meant Ishmael or that the languages were similar. <laughs> Whoever told Rashbam that in the language of Ishmael or in the language of Egyptians, Man is ma lo diber nachon. Whoever told him that did not tell him correctly. Ki targum mahu bilshon Ishmael mahavi rak manhu. The way you would say what something is in the language of Ishmael is ma or mi. Targumo mihu. Ki eneno nofel man bilshonam. You would only say man. In their language, in the Ishmael language, in Arabic, ki'im al-adam, on a person. And I was thinking, wow, in Arabic, how do you say who's this guy? Minno hada, right? Who is he? Minno, memnun. You would never say about a food, minno hada. How would you say what is this in Arabic? Soli. How do you say what is? You have a food in front of you, what's this? Huh? Sorry? Shuada. Shuada. But you would not say minno. So Rashbam says it can't be that man means what is it? Because man would really only be an expression that you would say, who is it? So therefore Rashbam is wrong. And I was thinking to myself, oh my God. From the Ibn Ezra, we have a beautiful chidush. 
The people looked at the man, and what did they say? They called it man. Why? Because they did not know mahu. Simple interpretation of pasuk means they didn't know what the food was. But now we're learning man in the language of Ishmaeli means who is it? What they were saying is they called it man because they didn't know mahu. They didn't know the nature of the person that they were looking at. Vayomeru ish el achiv. That's what the pasuk means. One man said to his friend, Manu, who are you? Because we up until that point did not know who our friends were. What they were really like. Comes the manna, and what does it do? Exposed the person for who he was. And the people said, forget it, I don't want this no more. We remember the days in Egypt when you could sit down, eat a freaking piece of fish, and you know what? No one said to yourself, okay, I know what you did last summer. Leave me alone. <laughs> I want to echo some meat. I don't want to have a conversation with the rabbi about Teshuvah. <laughs> My friends, beautiful chidush, no? However, there's something I want to, I feel, I want to I point out. I come in contact in this community with people who are amazing. People who are CEOs, who've built their own businesses, who've bounced back from bankruptcies. These people are unbelievable. Their work ethic knows no bounds. They can work from early in the morning to late at night, they're up at 4 a.m., amazing people. If you go up to one of these guys and you tell them, build a school, build a hospital, build a shul, you could know that if they want to do it, they could do it. And I don't just mean monetarily. I mean in their ability to do something. And I have one question. And it's not a question for the people in my community. It's a, p a question for the people in every community. <laughs> Invite the same guy, Mr. CEO. You see a guy, hench, ripped from head to toe. Solid, 0.1% body fat the guy will have, okay? You know that every day to have a figure like that, what does a guy need to do? He needs to spend hours in the gym, every day, running, lifting, pulling, pushing. I don't know if he's, uh, you know, with the ropes, like a mesh noon case, or if he's doing, right, you know, uh, he's lifting military presses, you know, preacher curls, he's doing everything. But the guy is putting in Blood, sweat, and tears so that he's in perfect shape, correct? Ask the guy to come to Gemara class. And what does the guy tell you? Rabbi, it's too hard. Rabbi, uh, am I allowed to eat this out in a restaurant without a kosher? I said, well, you know, you have this problem. Oh, Rabbi, that's too hard. Yeah, has, has, has a deal come your way? that you were like, oh, that's too hard? Have you, has there been a day where you just didn't go to the gym at all, a month, a week, a year? It's too hard. You're the guy who sweats it out, who hits the gym like a maniac. You're the guy who can make or close any deal. You're the guy that could run a company. You're the guy that could overcome any, any problem, any issue. 
And all of a sudden, when it comes to here, you're a weakling. The Jewish people are upset about the fact that they have a food that exposes who they are. So become a person that is not ashamed of being exposed. Backbreaking labor in Egypt every day versus traveling in the desert where you don't lift a finger, God feeds you, He clothes you, God is sitting there with His finger making sure that the ananeh hakavod are temperature controlled. Yani central air in the middle of the desert with Moshe Rabbeinu, greatest teacher of all time, inspiring you, blowing your brains out with the Divrei Torah. You build a Mishkan. God's presence is there with you every day. And with that, you look back at Egypt with nostalgia. I remember the free fish. Do you not remember the price tag you paid? All the hard work that you put in over there? Walking to get your man is less hard work. My friends, there's two responses here. Response number one is, a person can deal with physical labor a lot more than he can deal with being embarrassed. But the second Nikuda is that somehow, although we believe ourselves capable of doing incredible things in the physical world, sometimes we don't realize that if you're a CEO in the boardroom, you have the capacity to be a CEO in the Bet Midrash. And if you're not, it's because you're choosing not to. If you're a shark out there when it comes to the deals, that means that you could be a shark in the Bet Knesset when it comes to Amit. Rabbi, I can't. Amidah, I can't concentrate. I can't focus. I have ADD. When there's a billion dollars on the table, you have ADD or you notice every word in the contract. Even though you never went to a college as a lawyer. You read the contract 74 times, you missed nothing. How did you miss nothing, Mr. ADD? <laughs> I remember the fish in Egypt, free. You have attention deficit disorder? No. You know I say sometimes, sometimes a person does not have ADD. They have ADD. What does that mean? Doesn't matter if you have ADD, you stop paying attention. Right? <laughs> attention, differentiation, disorder. That means that when it comes to certain things, you aren't able to pay attention. And when it comes to others, you have no problem whatsoever. I'm not talking before I get angry emails from school moms. I'm not talking about your son that is diagnosed, that needs to be taking Ritalin. I'm not, or Concerta. There are people who physically cannot concentrate. If their life depended on it, they could not concentrate. If you gave them a medicine that said, read instructions or you will die, they would not be able to read it. They have to go to a lawyer to read it, to break it down into chunks that they can understand. Fine, there are people like that. But that's not everybody. And the proof is in the fact that in, the, in other things you're capable of doing so. My son can't sit. He can't sit for more than three minutes. Oh really? 
Did he watch the whole Spider-Man movie without getting out of his seat? How did he do that? How? I'm not saying it as an indictment. I'm saying it as an encouragement. Figure out what about the Spider-Man movie he keeps him in his seat and then try and recreate that in the classroom or in your conversations. Figure out why in the boardroom you're able to and in the Bet Midrash you're not able to. Because it is possible. Otherwise, you're like the Jew who sits and says, you know what, it's too hard. One second, I'll come to you right after we finish. I want to end with the Beracha. I want to end with the Beracha. Now, before I bless you to be bigger than you are, I bless you to be as big as you are. To find in all the other places in your life areas of excellence and to recognize that those areas of excellence render you the type of person that could take that excellence and supplant it from the place where it is to a place of spirituality as well. To not do so, oftentimes, is only a matter of choice. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen ve'amen.